to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along this evening. Our weekly get-together to talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And so far this week, one team has gone in one direction and the other team has gone in the other direction. We'll get into that in just a few minutes. But now let's go down south to Cincinnati some, somewhere near Cincinnati, I guess I should say, probably closer to Dayton. And talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. And Mark, before we went on the air, I didn't have to bother to ask you if you were doing okay, but I think you were doing fine up until about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, that hanging curveball to uh, Sizemore, or um, uh, I forget the kid's name from the Dodgers, hit, hit the three-run home run. Uh, you, you accurate when you said that was probably the pitch that took Sengrani out of the starting rotation for the Reds. There was some question when Matt Latos came back, was it going to be Sengrani or uh, Simon, uh, even though Simon has won eight games, eight and three. But it, it's clearly going to be Sengrani is either going to be sent down to work on some stuff that he needs to work on or he will go to the bullpen. Mark, there are just some nights during the baseball season that it's it's too nice to be out inside, and to be honest with you, tonight I toyed with the idea of going out on my back patio and doing the show from back there, but I am in the luxurious uh, UltimateSportsTalk.com studios tonight, so you've got me inside, but I swear to you, Mark, some night this summer I'm going to do this show from outside. Well, I've got one suggestion. Uh, I don't know if we can get... Um Wi-Fi at the stadium, but you and I ought to go down to uh, the stadium. Uh, I think Cincinnati would... Uh, how far are you from Cleveland? Oh, I'm about an hour, hour and a half, maybe. Okay. Not, not even an hour and a half. Maybe we can flip a coin to see what stadium we go to. Um, I'm only about 45 minutes from uh, the Red Stadium, but we had to do the, the show from the stadium. Well, you know, the Reds and the Indians play... Monday through Thursday night in that uh, month of August, and I believe that Monday night game is at Great American Ballpark. Maybe we could set something up to do that. That sounds like a winner. Maybe we'll try to get that accomplished. Well, Mark, I guess we should talk about the Indians here this evening. I, I guess there is no I guess about it. We probably should, considering that the Indians right now are over 500 for the first time since April 9th. They're 32-31 and 31 going into tonight's game against the Texas Rangers. They are now in second place, three games behind Detroit. They were 5-1 and one on the week. They've been 8-2 and two in their last 10, which ties them for the best record in Major League Baseball with the San Francisco Giants. They've won two straight. Since May 9th, they have gone 13 and 6, which is the best record in the American League Central Division. Detroit, by the way, has the worst record in the Central Division during that time. So, I guess, like I asked you before we went on the air, Mark, I'm going to pose this question to you again for our listeners. How can you tell when a team is playing hot baseball or if they are actually playing to their potential? What are your thoughts on that? I, Dave, I think the best way to say to say it, you, you can't look at the records alone. I think you have to look at who are they playing. If they're playing a bunch of teams in the second division of their division, uh, if you're playing the Cubs, you're playing some other weak teams, uh, Arizona, Philadelphia, and you have a good record, 
that's great. You ought to beat those teams. But that's not indicative of a team playing well or, or playing up to their potential. I think the only way you do that is look at how you fare against the best teams in your division or in the league. And that way you can say, yeah, we are playing good, even if you only play 500 ball. So, uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to compete for a division and do something in the playoffs, you've got to beat good teams. And the Reds, the last two weekends, they took two out of three from Philadelphia, <clears throat> who has the worst record in baseball. And Arizona, they took three out of four, who has one of the worst records in baseball. So when I hear the Reds fans get all excited because they won, uh, what, uh, five out of those seven games, to me that means nothing. It, it really means how are you playing against the Dodgers, the Giants, and so on. And when you look at what the Indians have done, they've played against Detroit, they've played against Boston, they've played against the Rangers. That means they're playing good teams and they are winning. So I think the, the answer to the riddle is the Indians are playing great baseball, and the record indicates that, but it also the schedule indicates that. Well, and since May 19th also, the Indians have actually cut seven and a half games off that Detroit lead in the first place of the Central Division. They were ten and a half games back on May 19th, and now, Mark, on June the 9th, they are only three games behind the Tigers. And right now, the Indians are playing in Texas this evening, and in the third inning, the Indians have an 8-1 to lead powered by home runs by George Cateras. Yes, that same George Cateras that they released in May and then brought back. And they've got him as their backup catcher now. And Lonnie Chisenhall has hit his second home run of this series. But, Mark, I guess I've got to say that the Indians, since they brought Carlos Santana back, I think they have decided that he is no longer going to be a catcher. He is no longer going to be a third baseman. He is going to be strictly a DH and first baseman, which to me is absolutely fine because, like I've been saying over the last couple of weeks, this guy cannot catch and he cannot field well enough to play third base. So putting him at first base and putting him at DH, I think, is a very good thing for the Indians. And that means that Kateris now is going to stay with the ball club, but when Nick Swisher comes back, there's going to be a big decision for the Indians. Who are they going to get rid of? And I would say the number one guy right now, Mark, that's on the chopping block could be Jason Giambi. Yeah, I don't think that should be a surprise to anybody. I mean, uh, Giambi has had a great career, but at, what, at 43 years old, he hit, what, 190 last year? Uh, I, I think, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. But I'd be surprised if they do release him that the Indians don't find a spot for him on their coaching staff. Uh, I think he's such a leader in the clubhouse that you want to keep that guy somewhere with that organization. He could very inconspicuously also come up with another rib injury. <laughs> that could be something that, that they do with him. But Swisher, and we're going to get into more about Swisher coming up in a little bit on our Ask Us segment, which, by the way, you can send in your questions. We've got a couple of them here this evening. Just simply by emailing us to askus or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or send us a tweet to OHBB co-host. Mark, the numbers on the Reds this week, not anywhere near what the Indians have been. They're 29-32 and 32 overall. They're in third place, 
Seven and a half games behind Milwaukee going into tonight's game with the Dodgers. They were three and three on the week, but they did win six of their last ten, and they came into tonight's game winning two straight. But right now, things are not looking good against the Dodgers at Great American Ballpark. You know, tonight was the first time I've heard somebody from the press make the statement that this team has to make some changes. Uh, John Fay of the Cincinnati Enquirer was interviewed by Marty Brenneman in the second inning, and he said that as you know, we wind into June, if this team doesn't you know make a huge change very very quickly, they're going to have to go out and get another bat. And I don't know where they're going to put that other bat. But they got Joey Votto coming off the DL probably, uh, I would say, maybe on Thursday of this week. And they got Matt Latos coming back. They will be at full strength coming up on this weekend. And this is the weekend they play Milwaukee. And if they don't play well, this team is going to be 10 to 12 games out of first place. And what is so irritating is why do you wait until you're 12 games out of first place before the light comes on, and you say, geez, we might need another bat. It's just inconceivable to me that the front office let it get to this point. But that's typical. You know, we've gotten into that, Mark, and, and that's just typical Walt Jockety. He is the most conservative general manager in baseball. Yeah, I guess that it fits into what Castellini wants to have happen, but you're right. Uh, he hasn't made a substantive move. I can't think of one other than signing guys, spending Castellini's money. Uh, what creative move has he made to improve this team over the last three or four years? I, I, I don't. Not any. And, and you talk about the signings, Mark. Even the signings are controversial. Who in their right mind would give Homer Bailey that kind of a contract? Well, that's my point. That you. That's the easy, low-hanging fruit is to sign the players that you already have, but it's it's a matter of dispensing your resources. And to give Homer Bailey that kind of contract didn't didn't make sense to me. I I guess they they've concluded there's no way this team can sign Mike Leake, Latos, Cueto, Bailey. Impossible. You can't do it. So who are they going to cut? They have to trade one or two of those pitchers because you just don't have you don't have the resources to have four of your starters making twenty million dollars a year. So unless you balance out those resources, you're not doing your your team any good to have great starting pitching if you can't score any runs for them. So that's been the frustrating part to me that. Jockety, as you said, has not been creative and has not looked at this in a way that balances the roster. It, it's like when the when the Mariners signed Robbie Cano, and they didn't they didn't resign Morse. Well, you, you put all that money into Cano, or you put all that money into Votto, and I think Votto is worth the money. I'm not saying he's not, but you, you've got to support him, and the Reds aren't doing that. Mark, something really bothers me going into this weekend. Okay, Joey Votto went on a rehab assignment yesterday to Louisville. He went one for three with a single. As you said, he's expected to come back this weekend for the Milwaukee uh, series. Matt Latos is going to throw tonight for AAA 
Louisville at Pawtucket. This will be his fourth and probably final rehab assignment, which means he is going to probably start Saturday in Milwaukee. Being that this is such a big series against the Brewers, why are you bringing back two players off of a rehab assignment to play their first games in such an important series? Well, again, uh, I, I think the Reds, in this case, have been. And if you, I don't know if you saw what the press coverage was down here. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, Matt Latos was very upset that he was back in Louisville or in Pawtucket, actually pitching for Louisville tonight. He said he was ready to go, and he he, he made no bones about it. He, he was very upset about it, and so you know you waste him. You could have pitched him tonight against the Dodgers, uh, and. Instead, you put Sangrani out there, and he gets his head kicked in again. So I don't know. It's this has been the most frustrating year I can recall since the early '90s. When I've been following the Reds for a long time, in the early '90s were very frustrating. Early 2000s, I mean, were very frustrating to me. But this year rivals that because this team, with any kind of creativity from the front office, could have competed. And next week at this time, we could be talking at the Reds, uh, you know, could be 12 games out of first place. It's not impossible. In fact, it's likely. Kendry Morales, he's a name that we kicked around for over two or three months here, Mark, for both the Indians and the Reds. Now, granted, it looked like he was a better fit with the Indians because of his DH capabilities, and you can't DH in the National League, but he signed on with... Minnesota, of all teams, he goes to Minnesota for $12 million for the rest of the year. Now, quite honestly, I think that is too big of a contract for him at this point in the year. But still, Minnesota is proving that they're in it to win it. And the Reds and the Indians, I'm not going to say a lot about the Indians, but, for example, the Reds, Mark, they needed a bat like Kendry Morales. And I would think that, you know, they they should have went out and done something something and found a place for this guy to play. Well, the guy I wish they would have gotten in the offseason was Morse, who went to San Francisco. I, I think he signed for $6 million for the year. You know, he would have changed this team dramatically, having that kind of power bat hitting behind Votto for $6 bucks, And it's, it's inconceivable that they have uh, nobody else in left field that's hitting above 240. Uh, even though Ludwig hit a home run tonight, uh, he, he's simply not the answer out there. And then with Jay Bruce having the funk, he's at, he's been in all year. That the offense simply has not flourished at all. And as John Fay said, what makes you think after 60 games, all of a sudden these guys are going to learn to hit? No, it, it's not going to happen. And you know, I hate bringing it up again. I'm not saying it to to pat my uh, powers of, of, I guess, uh, picking where these teams are going to Prognostication. Prognostication, that's the term I couldn't find. The, the, the Reds have a, a legitimate chance to finish fourth in this division. And every day that goes by, it appears that is more and more likely. Yeah, that that's true. But, you know, it's I've got to take umbrage to something that you you just mentioned that John Fay said. It's not just over 60 games, Mark. It's over 
almost 360 games. Because the last two years, they've had the same problem. That's right. <clears throat> Absolutely and, right. And, and you and I have talked about this for that those number of years. And it's it's interesting to me with the Indians. <clears throat> they have they have melded into a, a stronger, at least now, a stronger all-round team than the Reds. And I think the only thing they needed to do was improve their defense. And that's what they have done. You indicated before we went on the air, they only made one error in the last seven games. And that was the missing piece for them. But they have a much much more balanced offensive team than the Reds. And arguably their pitching isn't that much, the Reds pitching isn't that much better than the Indians. But the Indians have a balanced lineup. And they're getting production up and down that lineup, and that's why they're in contention. Yeah, it has been the defense that has improved over the last seven games. Actually, it's been longer than that. They've actually been playing some good defense, Mark, over the last three weeks. But the errors that they committed over the last three weeks, not just in the last seven games, but over the last three weeks, have been the kind of errors that you would anticipate. They haven't been the stupid errors of throwing the baseball around over throwing people. But it's it's been errors of hustle rather than errors of stupidity that had happened in the early part. So what kind of a difference do you think Votto and Latos can make to this team? I don't think Latos is going to add that much to an already strong pitching staff. Uh, he will certainly add something. He'll, he'll be better than... Um, than Sengrani has been. Uh, offensively, uh, Votto will make the team stronger, but again, Votto is not going to be pitched to in this lineup. The the Every other team will continue to pitch around him. They'll rather take their chances on Jay Bruce or Brandon Phillips or whomever is going to be hitting behind him. And, it, it, you know, when you have Jay Bruce hitting 202 or 208, 208 whatever it is, He's not going to scare anybody. So the problem is you can't blame Votto for this. If you had somebody, a a solid bat behind him, I think you'd see the numbers uh, that Votto has put up historically. I I think he continued to do that. But who in their right mind will pitch to Votto in this lineup? No, I, I wouldn't pitch to Votto, especially the way Jay Bruce has been missing contact with the baseball here lately. I mean, I'd rather take my chances with Jay Bruce than Joey Votto. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and Brandon Phillips, he just appears to be, even though his attitude, I think, has improved over the last few weeks, he just appears to be kind of a fish out of water. Yeah, I think he's waiting to be traded. <laughs> I really do. And I think that's the most logical thing for the Reds to do, uh, is to trade Brandon Phillips and, and try to get a power hitter because Brandon Phillips has lost his power. He, he just doesn't have that kind of, of, of pop in, in his bat anymore. And, uh, you know, I think there's some other – you could have Sizemore play – I'm, I'm sorry, Skip Shoemaker play second base, who, who's a very accomplished second baseman. He's, he's not Brandon Phillips. But I think Brandon Phillips could, could gain you some real power. And I, I think the Dodgers, I, I remain convinced – that the Reds could get Matt Kemp. Uh, they were talking during today's game that the Dodgers are in deep trouble themselves. They're nine and a half games out of first place behind the Giants with the highest payroll in baseball. They say that there's a, a real meltdown in the clubhouse, 
and that Kemp wants a you know a fresh a fresh start. But you know you think about the money you'd have to absorb to get Kemp, and yet the Reds passed on Cruz, who went to Baltimore and is putting up you know incredible numbers. They could have had him for for a lot less money, but they but they didn't do it. If you trade Phillips to the Dodgers for Matt Kemp, aren't the contracts pretty pretty similar? Uh, Kemp's is more, but not appreciably more. And the Dodgers could use a second baseman. I know that. And the Reds could certainly use Kemp in the outfield. You put him in left field behind Votto, and now you've got a scary lineup. You've got Kemp, you've got Bruce, and you've got Hamilton uh, in the outfield, plus Votto at first base. And the only but other then thing, what do you do at what do you do at second? I think you put Scott uh, Skip Shoemaker at second base. You think you could pry away uh, D Gordon from the Dodgers? No, no, I don't. I think that team is 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 power laden, and I think he he provides the kind of speed that team doesn't have anywhere else. It's like the Reds giving up on Billy Hamilton. I don't think they do. That. I don't think they do that. So uh, you know, I, I think he's a. But imagine having Gordon and Hamilton in the lineup at the same time. Right. You know, I've always thought. The Dodgers are having a tough time right now in center field. They've got Van Slyke out in center field tonight. They've tried Kemp out there. They've tried Ethier out there. They just don't seem to have a good fit in the center field. With their lineup, I've always thought Drew Stubbs would be a good – that'd be a good spot for Drew Stubbs to just go in there, bat him eighth in the lineup, and put him in center field. I think you're right. I think you're right. He'd be a good match for them. Uh, too bad we're not general managers. <laughs> I I think the Reds would look a lot different. I'm not quite – I know there would be a couple of guys on the Indians that I would have said bye-bye to. You know, Dave, <laughs> talking about that, I've heard a lot of people complain about Joey Votto and uh, his – not only the signing of the contract, but the sheer magnitude of the contract, but his performance. But when you look at the numbers – and Joey Votto is still a young man. I think he's only, what, 28, 29 years old. He's got a lot of years left, and it is amazing when you look at the all-time statistics of the Cincinnati Reds. This goes back, I, I think, to 19, 1895 or 1890, you know, a very long <clears throat> history in this team. Joey Votto has the fifth highest all-time batting average at three twelve. He, he, he He's behind four guys that I've, I've heard a couple of them, Cy Seymour, Ed Roush, uh, Josh Beckley, and somebody named Hargrave. And he's only two points away from fourth. And you look at his other statistics, and this guy already ranks uh, in the top 50 in almost every category. So I, I think the Reds made a wise investment in locking up Joey Votto just Looking at the numbers, in fact, he's got the he's the all-time leader on on-base percentage, slugging, and OPS. I mean, that's that's an amazing statistic for a guy that young, and he's got a lot of years left. So it is conceivable, aside from getting the most hits, which Pete Rose will hold forever, that uh, Joey Votto is going to be a, a Hall of Fame player. But if you don't support him, what's the point? If you don't bring somebody else to, to give him some cover, what's the point? 
And I, I think the Reds have to make a decision. Uh, what are they going to do with Brandon Phillips? I don't think he is going to make a contribution to this team over the next three or four years. Uh, I, I was really disappointed they did not trade him over the over the winter. Uh, but, you know, they've got to do something because it, this team is not going to win. Well, and the longer Miami stays in the pennant race, the more Stanton is out of the question. Uh, you know, you might look at the Mets and say Curtis Granderson is a possibility, but Granderson's contract may be too much for the Reds to overtake. Uh, you're not going to be able to pry away anybody uh, probably out of any other team. Mar, I can't think of any other power hitters that can turn the red season around right now that they can pry away from another team. I just can't think of anybody. Well, I think there's some young players and uh, their names. I mean, I, I was looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks last week when the Reds played them, and they've got some guys who make contact. And the, the thing that I found today that is just astonishing, when you look back in time and – Every lineup, the Indians, the Reds, the Yankees, no matter where it is, what makes it effective is the blending of the players. And I was looking at the all-time statistics of Joe, of Joe DiMaggio as an example. Joe DiMaggio, in his career, in his career, struck out 369 times. That's one every 22 at-bats. Joe Ivado and, and Jay Bruce will strike out that much in two years. Mm -hmm. And Adam Dunn is an example. He struck out 400 times in two years. The, the players today, you've got to blend your lineup. The Reds have so many guys who strike out so often, you cannot sustain a rally that way. And then you have Joey Votto, who I, I just said is a great hitter. I agree. But he is not a guy who's going to drive in a lot of runs because he walks too much. His on-base percentage is great, but he doesn't drive in runs. So when you look at all the elements that go into making up a lineup, whether you're the Indians or the Reds, you have to have guys who make contact. So you were saying about can the Reds find a power hitter. I'm not saying they have to find a guy who hits 40 home runs. I, they have to find a guy who puts the ball in play, whether it's a single, a double, a triple, but he doesn't strike out 200 times like Jay Bruce is going to strike out this year. And that that might be harder to find than somebody that hits the ball out of the ballpark 40 times, though, Mark. Well, I'll tell you, a guy that I would go after if I was the Reds, it, it got Para from Arizona. He plays left field. Uh, and right field. He's been an all-star at both positions. He's a great defensive player. He hits 280, 290. He'll hit the low 300s. He's not a power hitter, but the guy hardly ever strikes out. And he would be a, he'd be a guy like Chu. That's not going to steal the bases probably as much as Chu. And, and I don't think he's as gifted a hitter, but he, he's the kind of guy you could put in left field and forget about it. He's going to have a high on-base percentage. You hit him in front or behind of, of Votto, or putting somewhere, maybe hitting second in the lineup, in front of Votto, and then Hamilton in front of him. And all of a sudden, your lineup changes. So I'm not saying it has to be a home run hitter, but you have to either get guys on base, so they're forced to pitch to Votto, or somebody to hit behind Votto. Mm -hmm. And there are guys like Para out there who are good contact hitters, solid 
defensive players, and they could change this team overnight. A Michael Brantley. Michael Brantley would be perfect. You want to trade him? No. <laughs> he just hit his 10th home run of the year. The Indians are now up 10-4 to 4 on Texas. You know, a couple things, Mark. I, I thought it would be kind of interesting. Last week I asked you the question, uh, how many wins is it going to take for the Reds and the Indians in the month of June to stay in contention? You said 18 for the Reds. Going into tonight's game, they've got four. For the Indians, I said that they needed 16 in the month of June. They've got six. Well, it just proves you're going to be wrong. <laughs> well, it won't be the last time. No, you know, another thing, Mark, that the Indians have coming up is Zach McAllister. They're going to have to make a decision on him. He's making a rehab start in the minor leagues. He's going to pitch for Columbus tomorrow night in Charlotte, which means he could be back in the rotation in Boston this weekend. But I'm not so sure that this is going to be a good move because he made his first minor league rehab start with Class A Lake County last Thursday night, and he allowed three runs on nine hits in just four and a third innings. And Lonnie Chisenhall just hit a two-run home run, his second home run of the night, his third in Texas. The Indians have blown this thing wide open against the Rangers in this game. Well, I can only listen to that with envy and and disgust that the Reds haven't had an inning like that probably in, in six weeks, and I don't see it happening again soon. But uh, it, it's exciting to see the Indians put all this together. And, uh, you know, the way Detroit's playing, uh, you know, we were talking that maybe the only spot for, for Cleveland was to win the wild card, but they have a chance to win the division. And that is not something I would have predicted early in the year. I don't know if you thought so or not, but I, I certainly did not. No, I thought the Indians would probably finish third, and Detroit right now is playing in Chicago against the White Sox, and the White Sox are in third place in the Central <clears throat> Division. They're a surprise team in the division, and the Tigers right now are down 2-1. to one. You know, I want to bring up something here that I talked to you last week, Mark, and I saw it happen again last night against the Tigers. Did you see David Ortiz hit the home run in the ninth inning against the Tigers to basically win the ball game. Yeah, I did, as a matter of fact. Okay. I watched him hit a home run against the Indians last week that cut a 2 nothing Indians lead in the fourth inning to 2-1, to one, and he did something virtually the same in that Indians game that he did against Detroit, was he just stood there for a good five seconds and watched the ball leave the park. Now, I was in David Ortiz's corner when David Price threw at him two weeks ago. But anymore, if David Ortiz wants to be able to stand at home plate and watch his home runs go out of the ballpark for five seconds, then I say that these pitchers should be allowed to police him themselves. What do you think? Well, I kind of disagree with you on that. I, I, I don't, I don't take umbrage with the idea of the players policing him, the pitchers policing him. But how many times do you see a pitcher strike out a hitter in a tight spot, and they do a fist pump, or they smack their their hand into their glove, or they whatever they're they're doing to celebrate the the strikeout? 
you know, I, I think that a lot of people get over overwrought by some of these histrionics by these players, and I think baseball would be more exciting, frankly, if the players did more of it. It's like when they took away in football, you you know, you couldn't do certain celebrations in the, in, in the end zone. Why not? Why not celebrate? You hit a home run. Now, I celebrate. think you're talking about two different things there, though, Mark. You're talking about exuberant celebration, as far as as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I I I I appreciate that. I like that. But as far as what Ortiz is doing, he's showing you up. Ha- I, I don't understand that. I, I I just disagree with that. I don't think he's showing up. I think he's he's happy that he hit a home run. He's posing, sure, and he's also a veteran. It's one thing if a guy like Ortiz does it as opposed to some rookie who comes up, and that is going to piss off you know the pitchers. But I, I just think that I wish baseball was a little more exuberant, and it's so buttoned down, and so is the NFL. I, I just wish, and even the NBA, they've cut that down. And I think that was that's a, that's a fun part of the sport. And you're right. If it got out of hand, I think the pitchers would take care of it knock somebody on their butt, but uh, I'm just one who doesn't think that is a bad part of baseball, frankly. Well, we'll agree to disagree on that. All one right. of the many things we agree to disagree on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's time for our Ask Us segment. We've got a couple of questions here tonight that I think are apropos for the season and for the for this evening, and you can send us your Ask Us questions to Ask Us or DMitch at UltimateSportsTalk.com, or you can send us a tweet to OHBB co-host. Okay. First question comes from Tommy Two Fingers. I love some of these names. What will it take for the Reds to make a run? Uh, It'll take getting Matt Latos back in the rotation, Joey Votto hitting like he can, and picking up at least one more bat in that lineup. Absent those three things happening, this team is going nowhere. Can you see any way that Jay Bruce will cut his strikeouts in half from here to the end of the season? I do not. The pitchers, if you look at him carefully, Dave, the way they pitch to him, they pitching uh, change-ups on the outside corner he can't hit, and they pitch him sliders down and in. The only pitch he hits is a fastball right down the middle. And, that you know, my, my very, very real concern about Jay Bruce is that the league right now has him figured out. And unless he makes a massive adjustment, and and players sometimes are so hard-headed they don't do it, Jay Bruce, uh, you know, a lot of players, you look back in, over the years, a lot of players reach that point where they don't get any better. And, and Jay Bruce, I'm afraid, has fallen into that category, and you can see a significant, significant decline in his production over the next two or three years. And I think he still signed, what, five more years in his contract. And it could be ugly with Jay Bruce. Does he have that many more years left on his deal? I believe so. I think he signed a six-year extension a year ago or two years ago. So he's got four or five years left, I'm sure. So, I mean, I I hope I'm wrong, frankly. But, uh, you know, he's got great power in batting practice. And, again, a fastball down the middle he'll hit. But the pitchers are too smart to give him that, and uh, that's why he's hitting 200. All right, Johnny Come Lately asks us tonight about the Indians. How will the Tribe use Swisher when he returns? 
And I think that is a very perplexing question. Obviously, Swisher is making a lot of money. He's signed up for the next two years in a club option for a third. What are they going to do with him? They have finally figured out that Santana, as I said earlier, is probably a first baseman slash DH, which means that they're probably going to move Santana to a full-time DH, and they'll put Swisher back at first base. But... This team has been playing such good baseball since he's been out, Mark. I don't think you can move Swisher back into the number two or number five spot in the batting order, which is where he was before he went on the DL. I think you're going to have to put him at number six, maybe even number seven in this batting order, and let him ease his way back in. This team has been playing such good baseball. I don't think they want to screw it up by trying to force Swisher back into the lineup in a place where he doesn't belong. Well, I, we were talking about strikeouts, and I, I don't follow it nearly as closely as you do, but if I recall in the first couple months of the season, he was striking out at a, an alarming rate. And, you know, again, what has made the Indians so uh, powerful the last two or three weeks is the fact that their their offense has, has, has turned it up. They're getting good pitching, and they're getting great defense. And two of those three things – you bring in Swisher, he's not a great defensive player, and he had been striking out a lot. And those are two negatives you don't want to add to your, your team that's, that's playing as well as they are. So I think you're right. The Indians have a – it's a nice problem to have, really. You've got a guy like Swisher coming back, and, and your question is, well, geez, where can they fit him in? Yeah, absolutely. That 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 is what they have got to try to figure out. I mean, I, I like Santana at first base. I think he is a decent first baseman. I don't think he's a great first baseman. I think if you put him there full-time, he probably could turn into a very dependable first baseman. I think he's the same as what Nick Swisher is. I think he handles ground balls a little bit better. Swisher handles throws in the dirt a lot better than Santana does right now. But if you can rotate those two guys between first and DH, I think you might have a good situation. But I just don't believe that it's time to put Swisher back into that number two spot in the batting order. I've got another another question here. I'm not even going to mention the name because it's a little offensive. But anyway, Pete Rose is making a return to baseball. And they ask the question, how is Pete allowed to manage a baseball game? Now, I'm sure you probably heard about this, right, Mark? Yes, I did. And the reason he can manage it, it is an unaffiliated independent league team. So it's not connected to Major League Baseball at all. It's like you and I going out and starting our own team and asking Pete Rose to come down and manage it. So Pete has every opportunity to do that, and I don't want to get on the soapbox again with Pete Rose. It it just drives me insane that we have a Hall of Fame and you don't have Pete Rose in it. Uh, Are you you sweeping the floor there or something? No, I'm not. I'm sorry. You know what I was doing? I'm sorry. I was rubbing my computer, the top of it. I apologize. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's all right, Mark. It's okay. Well, for for those that don't know what we're talking about, Pete is going to manage a game for the Bridgeport Bluefish. Boy, try saying that fast three times. The Bridgeport Bluefish of Connecticut. They're in the Atlantic League of the Professional Baseball League. Now, They announced on Saturday that Rose would serve as the team's guest manager against the Lancaster Barnstormers on June 16th, which is uh, a week from tonight. Current skipper and 
Major League Baseball player Willie Upshaw will coach for that day. The Atlantic League of Professional Baseball is not affiliated with MLB, like Mark said, but the Bluefish mm. announcement stated that this league was created to be a league of second chances, citing Major League players such as Willie Mopena and Agardno Alfonso, who have a one point donned a Bluefish cap. You think that game's going to be put on TV? Do you think ESPN will have cameras there, Mark? I doubt it. Uh, it'll get some play in the, you know, maybe, certainly in the Cincinnati papers. But uh, I think what Major League Baseball has done to Pete Rose is just obscene, and uh, it, it's too bad that he is going to die not going to the Hall of Fame and not getting the accolades that he should. Yeah, he did something stupid 25 years ago, but there have been murderers who have been released from prison in less time and uh, have gone back to leading productive lives, and yet baseball doesn't let this go. It, it's just it's maddening to me and, and very, very disappointing. Why do you think he's doing this? Oh, I, I think, you know, Pete, he loves the game, and he had an interesting comment when they talked to him about it, like they asked him, why are you doing it? He said, because I love working with young kids and telling them the, the good things and bad things that I did, things to avoid, uh, appreciate the game while you're playing it. It doesn't matter if you're not at Yankee Stadium. Respect the game. All the kind of things that, that I'd want my son to hear from a guy who's gone through what Pete has gone through. So I commend him for doing it. I, I don't think it's a, it's, a, it's a bad thing. And, uh, you know, I think it just proves how much he loves the game. Yeah, I would think that it would be a great thing for Major League Baseball to have him as, as a possible ambassador I'm really surprised Joe Torre doesn't step up to the plate and kind of uh, push Selig into allowing him to do something like that. Because I would think, you know, Pete making the rounds at spring training and talking to players like that would be a very advantageous situation to baseball. Oh, it'd be such a goodwill gesture, and people would be so enthusiastic about it. And let the guy... It, he's almost what is he? Seventy years old now, and let him you know bask in whatever time he has left. Uh, you could put him in the hall. The thing is, he could be in the Hall of Fame, not be in Major League Baseball, and all you have to do is put a plaque next to it and say Pete Rose was convicted of whatever he was convicted of, and be done with it. I mean, it's it's amazing that guys like Ty Cobb and some others are in the Hall of Fame. And all the horrible things they did in their playing careers, and nobody seems to remember it, or they they conveniently forget about it. Yeah, they they just. But again, that that's a story. I think during there's a and I can't remember his name right now. I had him on my Thursday night show, Mark. But there's a guy who's got a website on Pete trying to get him back into Major League Baseball. I'm going to try to get him on. I told him when I had him on Thursday night, I wanted to get him on with you on this show. I'm going to have him come on here probably around the All-Star break and talk about his website. Again, I can't remember his name, but I'll go back and I'll take a look at that. A um, couple of other things. That's our Ask Us segment for tonight. Don't forget, next week you can send in your questions to askus or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can send us a tweet to at ohbbcohost. Mark, a passing last week uh, struck all of Major League Baseball and especially the city of Cincinnati because he was born and raised there. Don Zimmer uh, died last week. 
boy, what a baseball career, what a baseball life that guy had. He sure did. I, I met Don, uh, I think it was in the late 80s. Uh, I had dinner with him and a couple other guys, uh, the manager of the Pirates now, um, and one, oh, Jose Cardinal. and some Clint, others. Clint Hurdle. Yeah, Clint Hurdle. Jose knew Don from being with the Yankees, and uh, it was just great for me to sit there and listen to Don just talk about these old players that he had known, you know, and it, people forget that he played back in the 40s with the Dodgers. And uh, he almost he was one of the guys who almost died getting hit in the head with a pitch ball. Without a helmet, he got hit. I forget who hit him. But he had a plate in his head. And you could see, when you sat next to him, it was on the left side of his head. You could see the plate in his head. It looked like, oh, it looked like a, honestly, it looked like a piece of metal that they like a, took up half his skull. But uh, he was funny. He was very irreverent, and he would tell these stories. And just after a while, people were standing around listening to him talk, and uh, it was a very enjoyable evening. You know, he was one of the guys, Mark, that even though his career lasted as long as it did, and he was with so many teams, he was probably one of the most respected guys in baseball today, without a doubt. I mean, you're talking about a guy that played with Jackie Robinson. You're talking about a guy that saw Don Larson's perfect game. You're talking about a guy that went out to dinner with Babe Ruth. You're talking about a guy who saw Bucky Dent hit the home run, and then when uh, he was managing in Boston, he actually uh, rented Bucky Dent's house when he went to the New York Yankees to become a coach there, and Bucky Dent had all sorts of pictures about his career in that home run. <laughs> And when Bucky took the house back, uh, he got in there and saw that the pictures about that home run against the Yankees that year were turned around. <laughs> well, you know, it's what struck me about Don was how little he was. He was a little guy. Uh, he probably could have been more than five seven or five eight, but he, you know, he was he was powerfully built and he was a very good player and played for the Reds at one time and was born in Cincinnati. And he had a lot of, uh, you know, connections to the Cincinnati area. But, uh, you know, he and he played with everybody. He played with Pete, against Pete Rose, but he spanned the era from Babe Ruth all the way up to present day. And uh, I don't think anybody had done more for baseball than Don Zimmer. And I, I didn't hear anybody who ever said anything negative about him. He was just a great guy and down-to-earth, unassuming, and... Uh, wasn't the greatest player of all time, but uh, he, he certainly had a great career. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he go to the same high school that Pete did? He sure did. You're right. Okay. That, that's what I thought. And, you know, one of the last stories I want to tell you is Joe Torre last week. I heard him talking about Don Zimmer, and he said he contacted Don Zimmer when he became manager of the Yankees and offered him the bench coach's job. And Zimmer says, well, he said, can I have – can I have a couple days to think about it? And Tori said, I'll give you two weeks. Said, you can have two weeks to think about it. And it took Zimmer all of an hour and a half to call Tori back and say he would take the job. But then Tori said it was like clockwork. Whenever a game was over, Zimmer would shake Tori's hand if they won. And even if they lost, he just wouldn't shake Tori's hand. But they would walk down the walkway 
and down the, the hallway to the clubhouse, and the first thing Zimmer did after every game was pull that belt out of his baseball pants and swing it around his neck. That was the first thing he did after every game. <laughs> well, he was certainly well-liked, that, that's for sure. And that's... Yep, Don Zimmer gone. I mean, that that's a shame. I did, I did, you know, Tom Brenneman said, said something one time about Don Zimmer. He's the face of baseball. They showed a picture of Don Zimmer and said, that is the face of baseball. And boy, is that that true. That was the face of baseball. Hey, the Major League Baseball draft was held last week. You know anything about some of these guys that the Reds drafted, Mark? Well, only that uh, when they were drafted, three of them were still playing in the in the College World Series, uh, which means they got some pretty good talent. And the Reds have, I think, a pretty nice blend this year of college players who presumably are much more likely to get to the big leagues in the next year or two than the high school players. But it's interesting that the Reds have just not gone after any position players at all. Uh, in the last several years, I mean, they've. Uh, it, it's really strange this year. Very few hitters were, were drafted in, in the first couple rounds, and uh, it, it just shows that Major League Baseball is putting such a premium on pitching, which is why the ERAs this year are, are down to to nearly two decade lows. And you got to go back to you know like 1968. Uh, when the year of the pitcher, when you have uh, these kinds of performances by pitchers up and down the the, the league, <coughs> so uh, the fact that the Reds are the 29th hitting team in baseball, you would think they would at least look at some hitters <laughs> as, as an option. But you know, maybe they thought there was just nobody good enough that uh, could help them in the next three or four years. Well, I know when I was watching the draft last Thursday night. Uh, Nick Howard was the Reds' first pick. He's out of Virginia. He's a closer, which they were rather befuddled that the Reds would actually pick a closer with their number one pick, figuring that they're probably going to put him into the starting rotation, but he's going to have to develop a third pitch for that to happen. And the second player that they picked in the first round was a compensation pick, and that was Alex Blandino, and he was from Stanford, which both of those teams, well, Virginia's playing for a spot in the College Baseball World Series tonight against Maryland, and Stanford is already in. Now, the Indians, their number one pick was Bradley Zimmer from the University of San Francisco. He's a switch-hitting outfielder, and he is the brother to Kyle Zimmer, who's a pitcher with Kansas City. Another guy that the Indians took in was a compensation pick was Mike Papey. Now, Papey is the first baseman for Virginia. They've actually got him down here as an outfielder, but he's been playing first base for Virginia, and I've been watching him play in that college baseball uh, super regionals, Mark. This kid looks like a pretty good hitter. Of course, you'll never know until they get up to the major leagues, but that's just a list of what the Reds and Indians did in this first round. Where, you know, there weren't real any surprises the the guy that the Reds took that was closest to home was a kid out of Miami of Ohio, and I'm trying to find it right here, Seth Varner, uh, who is a, a left-handed pitcher out of Miami of Ohio. So that was the closest one to home that the Reds took. Hey, Dave, speaking of the uh, college game, are you surprised – 
that given the fact that, that college baseball, especially at the highest level, uh, people have said, you know, that is close to rookie ball, certainly a professional level ball, that they don't go to wood bats. Wouldn't that prepare those players better for the pro game than the metal bats? Mark, that argument, you know, has been going on for years, and it used to be that the argument was made that they just couldn't afford it. But there is so much money in college sports now out of the college basketball tournament and now the the new college football tournament that it's supposed to be trickling down, pardon the political pun, but it's supposed to be trickling down to the other sports that I would think that they would be able to afford wooden bats now. Yeah, the, the, the cost is not, I mean, metal bats are very expensive compared to a wood bat. You just use more wood bats, obviously. But I, I would think that Major League Baseball could underwrite part of that. And it, it, it just give the kids, so many kids come out of, the hitters come out of uh, college baseball, and they're not used to that wood bat, and it also hurts the college pitchers. You could you could get a much better feel for how powerful a hitter is and how powerful a pitcher is if they're playing with wood bats, and uh, I think the the game would be more exciting, and certainly you can even say okay you can use metal bats if you're a Division two or Division three school, but Division one schools have to use wood bats, and you know given how many of these you look at that draft Dave from last week. And two years from today, a large percentage of those players are going to be in major league uniforms. And it just seems to me logical to prepare them as best you can, and that would be going to metal bat or to wood bats. I agree with you wholeheartedly. The high school baseball tournaments happened. The state championship games happened this weekend, also too, Mark. And in the Division One state final, Maslin Jackson. Finished 26 and 5 as they beat North Royalton by a score of 5 to 1, winning the Division 1 state championship. Division 2 went to Carroll Bloom Carroll, 29 and 2. They defeated Plain City Jonathan Alder by a score of 9 nothing. The Division 3 state championship went to Coldwater. Coldwater finished 29 and 4 on the year. They beat Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy by a score of 4 to 2. And in the Division 4 state championship game, it was Defiance Tenora beating Newark Catholic by the final score of 4-3 to three to win the Division Four state championship. So your final state championship teams, Division One Maslin-Jackson, Division Two Carroll Bloom-Carroll, Division Three Coldwater, and Division Four Defiance-Tenora. Congratulations to those schools. And, Mark, we would be remiss without bringing up the incident that happened in Baltimore over the weekend. <laughs> and imagine who started this entire incident but a guy named Ubaldo Jimenez by just completely imploding for the Baltimore Orioles against his former teammate and now ace of that Oakland pitching staff, Scott Casimir. Casimir ended up going seven innings, didn't give up a run. Ubaldo pitched into the third inning, gave up Six earned runs, including one grand slam, another one that was controversial. Uh, could have been a grand slam, but they went to the replay and said no. But the funny thing, I guess it's not funny, but anybody who didn't see it, Manny Machado was upset over a a tag that was made on him on Friday night's game that he thought was a little 
too exuberant. I didn't see anything wrong with it, but Machado did. But then yesterday, after he hit the catcher for Norris for Oakland on the backswing twice, Norris finally had to leave the game. And what appeared to be Machado standing in the on-deck circle waiting for the A's to switch catchers, he was standing in the on-deck circle laughing at Norris having to be taken out of the game, which got the A's pitcher, Abdo, upset. So he threw the ball at Machado twice. The second time, Machado just let go of the bat, and it went at third baseman Josh Donaldson. And that started a melee again. Mark, your, your thoughts about all of this? Well, I think Machado is an airhead. Uh, <laughs> number one, I saw the tag play at third base, and it wasn't an I mean, yeah, it was a firm tag. It wasn't anything uh, egregious, I didn't think. And he, you know, he tried to throw his helmet at the guy, and uh, yeah, lucky the third, lucky he didn't hit him. And the third baseman would have probably gone over and cold cocked him. But the thing throwing the bat down there, I. He deserved to get thrown out of the game. What I didn't understand is why did they throw the pitcher out of the game? If you're going to throw him out, you would have done it on the pitch before when you thought he was throwing at the hitter. Why did they the throw umpire out? came out today and said that because he threw it through the second one that same way, they threw him out. That's why. But yeah, the but funny thing about it was, Mark, they didn't throw either one of them out until after the bench-clearing brawl. Yeah, it, it's... It's so inconsistent uh, how they how they handle this stuff. But uh, Machado is again kind of an airhead. He's only a kid. What is he? Twenty years old. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so you have to give him some slack there. But uh, that's the kind of thing that will get you drilled. Very, doing, very much so. Doing stuff like that, and uh, he's got to pay some dues. Somebody will nail his butt before the season's over because of that. Now, I didn't think there was any way Machado could have been blamed for hitting the catcher in the mask. Not on no. the backswing. No, I, no, you can't, you can't, you can, you can't do that if you try. Yeah, uh, it just did, that didn't seem. But, but the did you think that he let go of the bat on purpose? Oh yeah, of course he did. You, you don't if you've ever played baseball, you you don't. He, he just threw it poorly. <laughs> he was trying to throw it at the pitcher, uh, so. And it was it was very obvious on the replay. He tried to he tried to throw the bat. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'll bet Baltimore right now is ruining the day they signed you, Baldo Jimenez. Anyway, what do the Reds have coming up this week, Mark? They got trouble. Uh, they got three more with the Dodgers. They got three with Milwaukee. And again, I, I think this team. Uh, th- this is the week that was. Either they come back and take the next three from the Dodgers and take at least two out of three from. Milwaukee or this team is facing some serious uh, second division time this season. Are you saying there's trouble in River City? I'm saying there's trouble in River City. You know, that should be the, a theme of a, a film. It should be, yes. Well, the Indians, they have got Texas coming up tonight, and then they've got Kansas City coming up the next two nights, and then they go to Boston over the weekend. So it should be a very interesting week. Let's see if the the Indians can keep things going, and let's see if the Reds can pick things up. We'll be back next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark, have a good week. Okay, music man. (laughs) That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget we'll be talking the NHL and NBA playoffs on the Ultimate Sports Talk show 
on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And Mark and I will be back with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show next Monday night at 9 o'clock. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Have a good week, everybody. Good night.